this Advent and Christmas tide, we're preaching this sermon series called Certain Semi-Sacred Symbols of the Season. And today there's a trifecta of symbols, so we're going to look at three scripture lessons, three verses from three of the Gospels. First, John 10. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Then from Luke 2, In that region there were shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. And from the Gospel of Matthew, An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and said, Joseph, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for the child in her is conceived of the Holy Ghost. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. These uh, semi-sacred symbols of the season I'm talking about this Advent and Christmas tide didn't start being semi-sacred symbols. They all started life as something else. That's the thing about Christianity, you see. It is both flexible and omnivorous. It will vacuum up uh, secular symbols that come from other realms of life and claim them as its own and then turn them from secular to sacred purpose. For instance, the Christmas tree started life out as a pagan symbol from Anglo-Saxon nature worship. And a candle, a candle was just a candle, a way to see in the dark until Christianity took it and put it in the Advent wreath as a symbol for the coming of the Christ child into our lives once again. And this, such a simple, silly little thing, right? This is, I need a slide up here, guys. Is there somebody in the booth, John? Thank you, yes. So this is what candy canes started off as. They were just straight white sugar sticks. A candy maker handed them out for free at an exhibition in Massachusetts in 1837. Later, somebody added the red and white stripes, the red for the saving blood of Jesus and the white for the purity and innocence of the Christ child. Then somebody took one of the ends of this straight white sugar stick and bent it over to give it a hook. A little later, they added the peppermint flavoring to the sugar. And it's, so, it's just a simple little thing, right? But actually, this is the trifecta of semi-sacred symbols. It's a hat trick. It is a triple play. If you hold it like this, it's a shepherd's staff, right? Because his first worshipful congregation were shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. And if you do like this, it's a J for Jesus, which is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means God is my salvation. Because an angel of the Lord came to Carpenter Joseph in a dream and said, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He came to set us free. He came to give us life, life in all its abundance, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And there's a third way this is a good symbol for this season of the year. In uh, Greenwich, Connecticut, there's a tranquil cemetery with the requisite rolling landscape and granite ledges and towering white oaks of the Connecticut countryside. 
Over the years, I buried dozens of my friends in that final resting place. But with 10 acres of open space, it was also a great place to walk Dudley, my golden retriever. So we'd go over there once a week, maybe every couple of weeks. And while Dudley was poking around among the places that intrigued the canine mind, I would wander aimlessly among the headstones, looking at the names and the dates and the tributes printed there. And one day, a fairly large headstone caught my eye. It was about this time of the year, a few days before Christmas. And it caught my eye because on the grave in front of this, uh, this tombstone were two three-foot-tall plastic candy canes with their tips planted in the earth and the hooks pl- touching together like this. It's a heart. Now, this has probably been all over the place. I don't know where I've been, but that, until I see this happened about 15 years ago, I never saw this before. I never knew this could be done. And then I looked at the name on the tombstone and sort of caught my breath because the name was Jacqueline Noel. It's a few days before Christmas. Jacqueline Noel. And I looked at the dates, and the dates said February 13, 1986 to May 1, 1986, which means, of course, that she was 10 weeks old when she died. Now, her parents never really got to know her as a full-fledged personality. She was only 10 weeks old when she died. Who knows what happened to her? But 20 years later, there were these candy canes in the shape of a heart planted on her grave. Her parents obviously loved Christmas. They gave her that name, Noel, which means Christmas, literally. It's a contraction of the Latin phrase, the birthday of our Lord, and then those candy canes on that grave. Twenty years later, every Christmas, presumably, they came to decorate her grave like that. And I'll bet that if Doogie and I returned to that grave even today, 35 years ago, since she died, I bet those candy canes would still be there. So, the hat trick, the trifecta, the triple play. Shepherd Staff, J. Hart. Because he's the good shepherd who gives his life for the church. Because his name is Jesus, which means he will save his people from their sins. And because God so loved the world that God gave God's only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall never perish but have everlasting life. That heart shape may remind us of the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. The Gospel of John does not have a story of the birth of Jesus. There's no nativity narrative in John. But John, in that one single verse, John 3.16, gives us the reason for the season. That's why Jesus came down to Bethlehem that first Christmas. Because God so loved the world. And all three of these images are important to me this Christmas tide. The staff, the jay, the heart. Because I'm a parish pastor, and pastor comes from a word in Latin which, from which we get English words like pasture and pastoral. It means shepherd, literally. A pastor is a shepherd. And she or he see, sees many losses among you as he walks his way with you. This virus has stolen 5 million lives. You can barely believe that. 800,000 Americans. 5 million lives. The emperor of all maladies keeps stealing my friends away from me at the zenith of their power and potential. Now, ministers get lots of Christmas cards. 
I've served six congregations in my career. State College, Philadelphia, Grand Rapids, Northport, Greenwich, and Kenilworth. Over the years, I've piled up about 10,000 friends. It's a great job. They come in and out of your life. Some of them are gone forever, but it's a great job. 10,000 friends. So we get lots of Christmas cards, and I have a confession to make. I read my Christmas cards in February. (laughs) Kathy reads them in December when we receive them, and then she sets them in a little basket for me to read later after the holiday rush. It's a little shrine next to my Christmas tree. And every year we get a Christmas card from my friends Paul and Judy, who are in their 80s now. I met Paul and Judy when they were members at the State College Presbyterian Church in State College, Pennsylvania, right around the corner from Old Main at Penn State University. I was a seminary intern there. I was 24 years old. Paul was an astrobiophysicist. I didn't know there was such, th- such a thing. An astrobiophysicist at Penn State University. One of the smartest but also kindest people I've ever known. He sent up experiments on the space shuttle. And when, every year when I get his Christmas card, I remember back when I was 24 and how daunting it was to preach sermons at that young age to this whole congregation full of these brilliant Penn State scientists. Paul's wife, Judy, was the director of Christian education at the church, and so Judy and I worked together for a year teaching Sunday school and leading the youth group. She was so kind and patient for, with me this unlettered, untutored, half-educated student pastor with a learner's permit. She taught me so many things. Now, I didn't appreciate that at the time when I was 24 and full of myself and didn't know what I didn't know. But at this stage of my life, I'm so grateful she was part of the mosaic that created me. So we've been getting this Christmas card from Paul and Judy. We haven't seen them since 1984. This past year, last year, when I read this in March or April or whenever it was, I found out that Paul and Judy had lost a child, their 52-year-old daughter, Andrea, who'd died of an undetected heart anomaly that she'd been born with. She was 52 years old. Her own children, Paul and Judy's grandchildren, were getting engaged and getting married at this time. And I remember Andrea from my youth group. She was so wonderful. She was a treasure, a good student, an accomplished athlete. I wept. And so that was last year. This year we just received, the other day we just received Paul and Judy's Christmas card. And Kathy read it the other day and brought it over to me. She thought I ought to see this before February because it turns out that another child in Paul and Judy's family died this year. Their 58-year-old son, Dana, second son, who was killed when his car was hit head-on by another driver who'd fallen asleep on a mountain road in South Carolina. Now, we're not supposed to bury our own children. But to do that not once, but twice, what do you do? Some of you have been in that place. I've been there with you. Our Christian faith sustains us daily, wrote Paul and Judy in this year's Christmas card. Our Christian faith sustains us daily. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
writes shepherd boy David as he keeps watch over his flock by night. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So when you see, see that shepherd's staff this Christmas tide, maybe there is always one too few around the Christmas tree at your house. When you see that shepherd's staff, remember that it goes reliably before through whatever we face in life. Did you ever wonder what happened to the sheep abandoned by those shepherds when they raced to Bethlehem to see the newborn king? Haywood Brown, the journalist, suggests an answer to the question. He says there was one shepherd named Amos who refused to go with his friends to Bethlehem. They were shocked and disappointed. They said, Amos, you heard the angels' voices saying it with your own ears. A Savior is born to us in Bethlehem. It's two miles away. Come with us, Amos, for this Night of nights, we will see new glories at the altar of God, and you, Amos, will see sheep. Amos says, I have a hundred sheep. They need a shepherd. The angel scares the, sh the sheep. The angel shines too much. The sheep don't need an angel. They need a shepherd. I have a hundred sheep. I'll stay here with my sheep. So the next morning, when the other shepherds returned from Bethlehem, they told Amos about all the wonders they'd seen the night before. The mother and the father and the child in a manger and the magi and the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they said, Amos, on this night of nights, what wonders did you see? And Amos said, my 100 has become 101. They showed them a little lamb born just before dawn. And the other shepherds said, So Amos did a great voice from heaven announce this birth. And Amos said, In my heart there came a whisper. So maybe this Christmas tide you'll see fleeting phantasms of phosphorescence fleeting among the stars and hear choirs of angels singing glory, glory, glory with voices more celestial than Mia's and Alyssa's and Kelsey's. <laughs> or maybe all you'll hear is a whisper, just a hint or an intimation of new life for you. Maybe just a whisper, but maybe it will be enough. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.